We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I did want to get Brandon DeSanti's super chat up here at the very beginning because uh, he got that up pretty early, and I appreciate that, Brandon. And he, we definitely always appreciate super chats. Love this show. Huge Irish fan. Thank you. My question is, how good can Audrey Estime be? To me, Tyree and him should be one of the best combinations in the NCAA. I always thought Williams and Hughes got screwed. Uh, yeah, so to me, Audrey Estime is, is what Robert Hughes should have been. The problem with Robert Hughes is Robert Hughes. It, this is it's the funniest thing. Robert Hughes ran like Armando Allen should have ran, and Armando ran like Robert Hughes should have ran. Like it was very strange. Like Armando tried to be a one cut, and he wanted to hit people, and he was five ten and one hundred ninety five pounds. And Robert's this big kid that wanted to dance and juke and stuff early in his career. And it wasn't until late in his senior year that he finally was like, "Dude, you're two hundred forty pounds. Like, please go run Chris Gallipo over." And he obviously finished his career on a very, very strong note. Audric is what Robert should have been. You know, he's a big physical kid, but he also is a good athlete that can make people miss, but he's not gonna dance and juke. He's gonna be a one cut and go, and he's gonna deter he's gonna figure out what move needs to be made. Do I need to run this guy over? Do I need to make this guy miss? And he can do both. So I don't I don't know if I would if I would say I'm ready to to say he's gonna be the bet the combination with Tyree because Logan Diggs is gonna have a whole lot to say about that. And I'm not even saying that Chris Tyree is guaranteed to be in that one-two punch. I mean, you know, especially if he, if he continues to get banged up. The point is, they're all three going to play. And they're all all three going to have a role. But how good can he be? Ryan, I won't be at all shocked if at some point in time in his career, especially if, like, let's say, you know, Logan Diggs leaves early, if if Audric Estime steps into the lineup and becomes a 1,000-yard back, that wouldn't shock me one bit. He's got the potential to be that kind of guy. There's no doubt in my mind. He was one of my big takeaways from watching the spring practice. Like I was just, I was overly impressed because I expected what you kind of would expect out of a player as big as he is, you know, kind of pure power guy, incredible power, going to barrel through people. Cool. That's, that's all well and good, but I saw a much better foot quickness than you would anticipate for a player that big. I mean, he's a legit 228 pounds. He is packed together. So I think that he can, have immediate. I, I think that he can have a substantial role this year. I expect him to have a substantial role this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if, like you said, Brian, like in a couple of years from now, if he's the main ball carrier for this team, at least the highest volume of the ball carriers. Right. I think that he has that upside. I am very impressed by Audric Estime in person. I think that he has a substantial upside. But like you said, it's not going to be an easy. It's not going to be an easy battle to get a majority of carries this year because you're battling guys like Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs and even Jadarian Price that came in as an early enrollee. So they're, they're all going to have their roles, I think, in the offense. But I was very, very impressed with what I saw from SMA. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting, too. It's like even when uh, even when he gets into a situation where Tyree and Logan Diggs are gone, he's then going to have Jadarian Price and, and Cedric Irvin and Jabron Payne and some other guys uh, to battle with, too. And that's where you really want to be. 
because the cream will rise to the top, right? And that's the case uh, all the time. And it gives them a, a much bigger margin for error. So thank you for that super chat, Brandon, and great question. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Riker Ferg asks, Coach Driscoll, how was The Chosen last night? So I love that show, and... So my wife and I have tried to watch it several, several times, but we're just so busy. We never can make it through. So we were like, hey, you know what? Like about a week ago, we're like, hey, let's really power through it because we just have wanted to to watch it. And there's a lot of reasons why that I don't get into, but uh, it was excellent. If you're not familiar with it, The Chosen is a a show that is the first season. I I know you can get it on uh, Apple TV. The first season, I think you can get on, I think Peacock has had it. And I know Pure Flix has it. But it's essentially what we're up to now is essentially the period in which Jesus calls his disciples. And uh, it's a really well done movie. I've seen a lot of movies about this period and they're all kind of, I don't know, lame. Like I love the meaning, but the movies are lame. It's a really well done show. And so we've powered through season one, loved it. It's very moving. There's certain scenes that I literally get choked up and I've seen it literally 10 times. And it's just powerful because you know what's behind it. And then, so we started watching season two last night before Angela had to go to bed. She gets to, she's like Ryan. She goes to bed early, you know, uh, earlier than I do anyway. But it's really, really well done. And so I would encourage you to watch it. And and it, they're still, I mean, he's still, I was telling Angela, I was like counting the disciples that are, it doesn't even have all 12 yet. So we're a ways away from the the some of the gorier stuff that may be on it. We don't know. Uh, cause people are asking like, you know, Hey, look, we don't want our child to watch passion of the Christ. I've never seen passion of the Christ, uh, you know, because of, it's just not appropriate for a child to necessarily watch. And I, there's nothing like that. This is very child friendly, family friendly, and just a really, really well done production. So uh, I enjoy it very much and I would encourage you to, to watch it. And it's very well done. I like that subtle shot you just took at me, by the way. That was nice. What subtle shot at you? He goes to bed early like Ryan does. You got a one-year-old. If I was chasing a one-year-old around all the time, I would be tired too. Uh It's just like, how many times a week do I text you? Are you up? And then you respond when you wake up in the morning. I am now. (laughs) Like 530. (laughs) And I'm like, I've been in bed for two hours at that point in time. So it was not a shot. It was a statement of fact. You Mm -hmm. go to bed a lot earlier than I do. Uh So does my wife. Demetrius, it's not an insult. No, it's not. 
<laughs> Could you imagine me at night if I was chasing a one-year-old around all day? Uh, oh, I mean, I mean, you might know when I get out there to the, uh, <laughs> to the Notre Dame. <laughs> no, because that's what's great about being like the uncle, or it's not your kid. Like when you're tired, like okay, here, take your kid back. I'm, I'm just gets wearing me out. Take him back. <laughs> uh, Demetrius Rex says. Don't want to put too much stock in a spring game, but the Ohio State defense looks uh, more of what it's been. Yeah, I mean, for, they weren't even tackling in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But look, th- Jim Jim Knowles is a good defensive coordinator. I want to say it again; he's a really good defensive coordinator. But everywhere he's been, the defense has taken a step back per, from a points, yards, and yards per play standpoint in his first year. It's a very very complex defense, and I still don't know. If Ryan Day is, you know, he's made a lot of changes and all that stuff, but I thought it looked like the same Ohio State team, really, really good, but not an overly physical football team. They're just, they're just, they're, they didn't show me that, right? No. And they just, it's a lot of the same. It's a lot of speed and, you know, all those kind of things. Even though they run the ball a ton, it's not like a power running game. It's just angles and, you know, trap blocks, kick blocks, you know, wraps, things like that. And, you know, fast swipe zones and letting your speed, you know, find holes. They're just, they didn't seem to me to be an overly physical football team, but dot, 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 it's a spring game. And I just, I don't put a ton in spring games, but based on what we did see, Ryan, it it, kind of did look a lot like that in my opinion. It did. Yeah. I I got a chance actually over the last two days to watch Ohio state spring game. And I just actually watched Michigan spring game. as as I was uh, working earlier. So next on my to-do list. Didn't look great, man. Michigan did not look too good, but uh, that's another conversation. That's all I say. It's a spring. I know. I know. I know. Well, someone asked me yesterday, it was like, do you put, um, do you take stock of spring games into like evaluations for NFL draft? I'm like, absolutely not. Why would I ever do that? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. I mean, other than, you know, hey, this kid ran around, looked athletic, and then move on. Add them to a a watch list, but like, it's not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, but yeah, I agree. I mean, CJ Stroud looked really good. Montana kid might be something for next year's draft. You got the MVP of the Notre Dame spring game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good times, man. Nate Montana. Good times. Hard pass. Please continue. I just, (laughs) I get, I get worked up when people start talking about spring game. I I mean, uh, Hey, CJ Stroud looked as good as he did late in the year last year. The wide receivers looked all good. Uh, Agbuki or however you pronounce his name, the word number two looked pretty sleek. looked good. Offense line just doesn't look great to me, man. Like I, 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 I think that Paris Johnson is going to end up being a really good player at left tackle, but even he's a question mark because he just hasn't played the position. The defense just does not look great. So, yeah, it's a spring game. We're not going to overreact to it, but nothing in that spring game said like, oh, it, they look a lot more physical this year than they did last year. They they look like the same team. The same that yeah. same team is a explosive, good football team. So no knocks to them, but. If we're talking about the physical nature of this offense and defense, I, I, that's why I have some hope that Notre Dame can be in that game and have uh, opportunity there. Yeah. My guy Ryan said, I didn't like Foskey in coverage, but I love Jack Sawyer in coverage, LOL, because they were <laughs> dropping Jack Sawyer in coverage. And, and I'm like, that's what some coaches do, though. I mean, they're just, I'm going to do my thing. And I was hired here to run my defense, and we're going to do it the way that we do it. And that's just kind of what they do. But you know, somebody else asked, I want to address this as well. Somebody, because we're on the subject, somebody asked, Big Jim asked, why in God's name would uh, would you dump Al Washington? That decision alone makes me question Ryan Day. I think that is a lot more about Jim Knowles than it was Ryan Day. I, I mean, look, Jim Knowles, this is the difference between Marcus Freeman and Jim, and Jim Knowles. Marcus Freeman was like, there are coaches on the staff that I'm keeping on this staff. You're, you know, Mike Mickens is staying on the staff. Chris O'Leary is staying on the staff. And at the time, Mike Elson was going to stay on the staff. I mean, it's just the reality of it. And some coaches like Jim Heacock decided he'd rather stay at Iowa State than come to Notre Dame and, and have to work with, with you know, coaches that he didn't choose. Basically what Ryan Day did, and, and I have no problem with this stance either, it's just different, is he gave Jim Knowles the ability to keep his own staff with, I believe, one exception. He wasn't letting him get rid of Larry Johnson, which, to be honest with you, well, that's another conversation for another day. Because uh, this ain't, to me, we haven't seen that same Larry Johnson that, that developed a reputation as a great D-line coach hasn't been as apparent the last few years, but that's a, it's a different conversation for a different day. So it, it, I, I don't put that on day. I mean, it's ultimately on day, but I understand that if you're going to make the investment to bring in a Jim Knowles, you, you, you know, you let him bring in his own staff. He, to me, he has a, 
there's some coaches I would do that for. Uh, Jim Heacock isn't isn't one. So, yeah, we, we we shall see. So let's get back to some some more questions here, Ryan. We did have a super chat down here from uh, Craig Sebring. Hey guys, love the show. If we get more in James, what wide receivers would we have a shot at? Well, Ryan, you want to take a so this is saying the to premises if they if they land Dante Moore and Braylon James, what other wide receivers would Notre Dame have a shot at? So. I mean, I mean, it's still going to be players that are on the board already. It's not like something is just going to be like mythically drawn up, Greg. So I would say the guys that they're keen on right now, you mentioned Braylon James, obviously, who's the one that we'll know about the quickest here. I think Rodney Gallagher, who we spent a lot of time on earlier in the show, is a guy that they definitely want. I think that Ronan Hannafin is a player that they would take, and he could be a wide receiver or a defensive player long term. And I, I think that there's, you know, there's going to be a couple guys that you're going to be incredibly interested in. But I, I think that Rodney Gallagher is number one for me. Like, I think they really want to get Rodney Gallagher. Like, that's the top guy on the board after that, since we're just not very we're just not feeling great about where, where things are going to head with Cardinal Tate. I mean, just to be right. very honest, I think that they're going to kick the tires with guys like Tyler Williams and Rico Flores is a guy that they are interested in. But. I mean, if you're asking me who the top targets are, it's, it's Rodney Gallagher after breaking the Brown James. Yeah, that's another one. Ronan Hannafin right now, mm-hmm. I, I believe he wants to play receiver, and the staff yeah. has no problem giving him that shot. He's a very good wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I think I think Tyler Tyler Williams is an interesting one because we we had something on our message board last week from Smitty, who has connections down there. He lives down in Florida. Said that you know there's a there's a legitimate interest on Tyler Williams' part. Well, Notre Dame doesn't. The people I talk to in Notre Dame, they don't feel that he has interest in them. But if he does, they would be all about it. So we'll see how that kind of develops here over the next few weeks. But he's a guy that the staff loves. They'd love a crack at. And then, of course, with Jaden Greathouse, I think this weekend will give us our first chance to find out if Notre Dame can legitimately have Jaden Greathouse because it's hard. But, Ryan, he's never been on campus, so it's hard to really feel one way or the other when – it's a Texas kid who's never been on campus. I just can't believe I forgot about Jaden Greathouse. My explanation. That's what well, I'm. You just upset need about. to believe a little something for me. You're just <sighs> helping the boss out. I appreciate that very, very yeah, much. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, Ryan, I mean, when you start talking about who can they get, I can understand why you wouldn't be talking about Jaden Greathouse because, again, he's a Texas kid that likes Texas. That Texas wants. That's never been to Notre Dame. So it would be homerish of us to sit here and say, "Oh yeah, yeah, they're going to get Jaden Greathouse now." A week from now, we may have a different conversation. You know, he may come to Notre Dame and absolutely love it. And but we don't we don't know the answer to that yet. That's that's right. the concern. So I think of guys that I think right now that Notre Dame has the best chance at. I mean, Ronan Hannafin is is the main one just because mm-hmm. he's been on campus. It's hard for me to kind of start feeling too good yet about Rodney Gallagher until he gets on campus. And that would be that would be the big the big thing for me. We have a kind of a question that's similar to that. And that's from 99 Problems, but BK ain't one. Also, our Micah Tease, actually, did he have a – yeah, here we go. If Micah Tease is being recruited as an athlete and Ronan Hannafin too, Ronan Hannafin too, could that hurt wide receiver recruiting And if both these guys end up on D ultimately? Because it seems unlikely to recruit two athletes and four receivers. Well, I don't think it would be unlikely to see that happen. I, I think that if Notre Dame was able to, like, load up at receiver on guys they want, those guys may end up on defense, but – I think it depends on as we kind of get deeper into these young men's recruitments, you're going to see them kind of start to say, okay, this is where I want to play. And mm-hmm. that'll kind of factor into the numbers a little bit. And that may say, look, we'd love to have you, but we need you on defense. And then be honest with the kid. But I think right now at the time is what I think they, they would definitely take five receivers. If one of one or two of them were guys that could also play, play defense, you know, there's, there's no doubt. Like, and his follow-up question was, is also are Micah Tease and Rodney Gallagher similar? Would Tease as an athlete impact Rodney Gallagher's decision? I don't think it would because they are similar in some ways, but I also think Micah Tease has a lot more outside X receiver talent than maybe Rodney Gallagher does. There, there's no reason you couldn't see a scenario down the road where you've got Braylon James at W and, you know, if they're able to get him and then, you know, Rodney Gallagher at Z in the slot and then Micah Tease outside at X. That, that agree. is absolutely something that would be would work, you know. So I don't know if you agree with that, Ryan. But but he's he's a good route runner. He he's got really good in, you know contested ball skills. He makes a lot of. There was one game he had two, one of their bigger games of the year. He had two really impressive end zone touchdowns where he just made showed great body control playing the ball in the end zone. Just another reason I love him at corner. Yeah, uh, but yes, I, I don't think those two things would. I, if anything, it gives you. It's like 
you know what it's like? It's like kind of having Avery Davis and Braden Lindsay or Avery Davis in the slot and Lorenzo Styles might actually be a better comparison because Lorenzo could also play slot more than Braden. But to me, it'd be no different than lining up Lorenzo Styles at X. That'd be Micah Tease, who could also play slot and then having Avery Davis at Z because he's more of a pure slot like Rodney Gallagher, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I, it's a great no because uh, it was exactly what I was going to say. I, I think of Tease more as an outside-in player. Like, I, I don't think that he's a – I definitely don't think he's a slot-only type of guy because, like you said, I think he has ball control. I think he has great ball um, great ball instincts in the air. I think he's got great ball skills. I think he's got good, good body control through contact. Like, I think that he can do all the things on the outside, and I think he's a good route runner. So, like, I, he's not – I'm not saying he's nearly Garrett Wilson that played at Ohio State, obviously, but I, I think that they are similar as an off – like a wide receiver. They can play outside the in. I don't think that they're necessarily just slot receivers. So, Rodney Gallagher, for me, is like, that's your true slot guy. He's going to break a ton of tackles. He's going to play in space a ton. That's the that's your RPO heavy dude, right? And I think the upside there is obviously substantial. But I think that Micah Tease can definitely play with Rodney Gallagher. There's no – there's no – I, I have no no doubt about that. Right. Alex B says, so if they take T's, Ronan, and LZ, are we taking seven or possibly eight receivers? I don't think no. – Yeah. I, I don't believe they would take all those guys at once, num- number right. one. And if they took all three of those guys, it would mean that they're not in it anymore with some other guys. Right. That would be the reality. If, if that's – if they get those three guys, then it would be those three plus, you know, hopefully J- Braylon James, and then that would be their receiver class. It would right. mean that they're not getting Gallagher and Tyler Williams and Rico Flores and those other players. Cardinal well, Tate, obviously. J.D. Yeah. Greenhouse, all of them. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I just don't envision Malik Elzey in the class just in general. He's an interesting player, though. He would be another like offense-defense flex guy for me where it's like interesting yeah. player, but yeah. He's a good football player to me. He's just a guy that kind of keeps you where you are. He doesn't move the needle for me. And, you know, so, you know, good football player. But, look, they'll take five receivers in this class if one of them is Micah Tease, in my opinion. I mean, I just – I believe that they would do that just because, look, you're going to – you need the numbers. I mean, that's no doubt. You're, you're short on numbers now, and you're going to lose three guys after the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, guaranteed because Braden's done, Avery's done, and I believe Joe Wilkins is done after this year. So the numbers are there to take five, especially if two of them could play defense, right? And, and uh-huh. were recruited by you at some point to play defense. So there, there's there's no question about that. I think they would they would take that if that. But they, like I said, if that's the class they're putting together, it means that they've missed out on some other guys. So they won't get seven or eight receivers. Absolutely. All right, USMA eighty seven. I am in the camp that uh, I describe as an abuse fan. <laughs> Keep thinking this is the year only to be let down. The difference this year is new staff. I'm optimistic. I think that's very fair. Yep. I, I really do understand why a lot of Notre Dame fans just refuse to get their hopes up. I get it. I mean, we've been here before, especially some of us older folks. But, uh, I, I mean, it, but I just, I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to not live that way anymore, right? Like, it's like, I'll, I'll cross that bridge. If well, What happens? I've been asked this a million times. What happens if they don't get Dante Moore? I'll cross that bridge when we get there, right? But right now, I'm you know I'm focused on Dante Moore, and we'll see how it goes. And I would encourage you all to to do the same thing. It's it's a fun time to be part of a you know the Notre Dame fan base, and that's you know just enjoy it. And then if it turns out to be same old, same old, we can deal with that at the time and keep rolling along. Mm-hmm. D Rock Irish, my man. Good day, IB Nation. I keep saying we must snatch a few games from top teams and win a major bowl. One of the best recruiting tools, once we do that, we might be able to obtain keep top-level recruits. Again, D-Rock, this situation regarding Justin Rett has nothing to do with a lot of that, right? But his point is accurate. Like, at the end of the day, this staff has done a great job to position themselves where they are with all these recruits. And I think it speaks volumes about how good of a recruiting staff they are and about Marcus Freeman and Chad Bowden and the staff. Having said that, Ryan, if you want to continue to do this year after year after year, you eventually have to start winning some of these games that Brian Kelly could never win or rarely won. And I do think it makes recruiting easier. You're you're just not going to consistently land top three classes if you're at least not winning some of these games. And at the end of the day, you know, Georgia could sit back and say, hey, look, we beat Notre Dame a couple times. We made it to the national championship game. It went to overtime. So we've got a playoff win over Oklahoma. You know, you had a Sugar Bowl win over Baylor, right? Like they've got some of those big game victories 
They've won what two SEC championships, right? Not even counting that. I'm talking about before the championship this year. And, and so at the end of the day, Ryan, you know, even a program like Georgia, who up until this point hadn't won a title, had plenty of big game victories to hang their hat on from a recruiting standpoint. Ohio State has those. Bama, Clemson obviously have championships. Notre Dame has none of that. I mean, mm-hmm. none of that has not won a major bowl since what January 1st of 1994 when they beat Texas A&M in a Cotton Bowl. Think about that. Has not won a major bowl game since 1994. How old were you in 1994, Ryan? 3. 3. Yeah. Well, there 3 in, three in October, two for most of the year. <laughs> so there you go. And so, yeah, they got to get those D-Rock. I think you're absolutely right. That's going to make recruiting easier. It it will. It just will. And it's time to get those and Notre Dame will have several opportunities at those in the regular season this year. There's no doubt about it. All right. Will uh, Chasonic says, can Notre Dame still land these top recruits like we've been saying they can if we can't loosen academic hurdles for even a top 1,500 player? Yes. I'm going to say this again, and, and Will, I would encourage you to read the message, get on the message board if you're not on it. We explain this whole thing. This has nothing to do with the admissions department, and I'll just leave it at that. So – the, the the academic hurdles are not that 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 we believe led to this decision are not on Notre Dame's end, and and we'll just leave it at that. And if you wanna, and if you wanna kind of find out more, you can get that on the message board, mm-hmm. right? John A one says, I feel like recruiting the front seven at Notre Dame has taken a jump. Notre Dame has also been able to land some highly rated safeties: Kyle Hamilton, Houston Griffith, Derek Allen. I would throw Peyton Bowen and uh, Adon Schuler in that conversation as well. I wonder why cornerback recruiting doesn't feel like it's taken a jump with the rest. Can I take first crack at this, Ryan? Sure. Go for it. Number one, I do think it has taken a jump. I, I don't think it's the jump that others have because it's a different animal. I think if you look at recruiting the last two years, I would argue, Ryan, that recruiting mm-hmm. the last two years is, is it's been their best two-year stretch in, in a while, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I mean, it, it's – it's their best two-year stretch. I mean, because you look at 2016, they had a great corner class. And then the next year, they signed no one. And the year before that, in 2015, it was a decent class, too. You had Sean Crawford and and Nick Coleman. And, and you know, if, if Sean Crawford doesn't get hurt, you know, your cornerback position is pretty good, you know, for years because Sean Crawford would have had some time after Troy Pride and Julian Love left. But – you just haven't been able to string it together. That's the problem. I mean, in 2012, you land T. Shepard and Kavari Russell, and then, you know, 2013, you you I'm trying to even remember who they got in 2013. It was uh, Cole Luke. It was one guy, and then in 2014, you got one guy, Nick Watkins. And it's just it, it's so that's kind of been an issue. And I would say that, you know, just looking at it from a recruiting ranking standpoint of my rankings, like the Ryan Barnes, Philip Riley, Chance Tucker class was really good. Right. Uh, it was an improvement upon what they did. Now, is it a gap closing recruiting class only from the standpoint of as it makes Notre Dame better? It's not like closing the gap and that you got guys that they wanted per se. But I think what's often overlooked about Ryan Barnes is Georgia and Clemson both offered him and Clemson wanted him. Right. So it's not like Notre Dame beat a bunch of Maryland and Syracuse and Boston College for Ryan Barnes. Right. Then Philip Riley was also a guy that had a, a, an impressive offer list. Then you follow that up with Benjamin Morrison, who I graded as a top 100 player, and then Jaden Mickey. That's a really good corner class. I think the problem is, Ryan, is perception. And I think it all boils down to, and you may disagree with this, but just go, you can, and you can say it if you want, but if Ryan Barnes was ranked where I thought he should have been ranked, the conversation about, the recruiting at corner would be different in my opinion, because, but if you just look at the talent, the film, in my view, and we've never really talked about this, I don't think uh, that's a top hundred football player, in my opinion. And if he was playing in Atlanta or Miami or Orlando or Dallas, there's no doubt in my mind that Benjamin Morrison would have been a top hundred player. Right. Right. Well, I, and I, I think that the narrative's going to can change very quickly, Brian. Because, like you said, if I mean, in my mind, if Ryan Barnes is able to 
earn a substantial role this year and plays really well, that kind of changed the outlook on him. Philip Riley, if he's able to contribute, and then you have guys like Benjamin Morrison coming in. Jaden Mickey's obviously been very good so far in the spring, you know, kind of working through his aggressiveness and just physicality. So I think that it's going to change quickly because, I mean, that was my first impulse when we started the show was the fact that, like, yes, Justin Rett's a loss. There's no doubt, but, I mean, they just had a really good corner class. <laughs> it's not like this has been, like, a crazy struggle under Coach Mickens. Like, obviously, we need to see it now go from – recruiting to on fields right with the last couple classes right. but it's i mean there's no reason to think that it can't right because i mean especially after what i saw from ryan barnes in the spring practices i was very impressed so i think that that moniker that that uh, that understanding could just kind of change a little bit right like obviously it can always improve but i don't think that the cornerback position is the struggle that people are acting like it is just because Justin right. he committed right and i mean look i've said this before so this isn't new i I always I always get leery when people make comments about evaluations of players after something bad happens. Because then you kind of get into the whole, well, I mean, that's not what you said when he was committed or before, right? Like you always gotta be wary of that. Cause like somehow, well, I have new film available to me after the kid decommitted that tells me I'm not as high on this kid as before. We don't do that here. So this is how I've always felt. I thought Benjamin Morrison as a junior graded, I mean, it's not it's it's verifiable you can go look at what i've been saying about him as a junior graded out higher than justin rett did as a junior on my board and i like justin rett a lot i mean you've heard us rave about the kid i just i'm either right or wrong about benjamin morrison but me being right or wrong is going to really truly determine if the recruiting at cornerback is better than people think but that kind of goes back to what i've said ron i think the the issue right now is perception in two forms one is the guys that I think should have been ranked higher weren't. Ryan Barnes should have been a four-star recruit, just flat out. Should have been a top 250 guy at least, right? And I understand why, right? No camps, didn't play a senior year. I get it. But he should have been. And if he was, that would have changed the perception a little bit. And Benjamin Morrison was grossly underrated, in my opinion. I mean, you beat Alabama and Washington for the kid, right? Washington has two corners that people are talking about maybe going in the first round of the NFL draft this year. Right. And they wanted him bad. Bama wanted him. How often does Bama go out to Phoenix for corners? It's <laughs> a good right? question. Yeah. And and so, but that's the thing. But because he wasn't ranked high, the perception is he wasn't a big time player. And, and we'll find out if I'm right or wrong on that one. But I, I do think there's another level that they can get to a corner. I just think it's better than what people think. I mean, who was fired up about the 2016 class of Julian Love, who was not a top 250 player? Troy Pride, who was not a top 250 player, I don't believe, and Dante Vaughn, right? I'm actually going to go look at this, uh, what they were on the composite. I, I believe Julian Love was ranked number 480 on the composite ranking coming out of high school, three-star player. Troy Pride was ranked number 249. He was barely inside the two, top 250 coming out of it. And then Dante Vaughn uh, coming out of high school was a, also a four-star recruit. He was ranked number 300. Mm-hmm. All three of those kids played in the NFL. Yep. Right. Two of them were part of the best cornerback tandem. And I would, I would argue in 2018, the second best cornerback tandem in the country. The only one that was better was the one they played in the cotton bowl, AJ Terrell and Trayvon Mullen. Now you could argue for other programs, but like I'd say, okay, at worst, you're dropping them to fifth at worst. And I'm just going off production and, and play. I'm not talking about NFL draft projections and all. I'm talking about how they played in the game. And and th- that was not a group that – but we loved that group coming out. I loved that group coming out, right? And so you have to look at the film over the rankings. But I think – but the reality is is rankings does impact perception. Now, can they recruit better corner? Yeah. But the problem you're running into is on the defensive line and linebacker and even safety to a degree, you have some guys you can point to and say, look what we did with that guy. I mean, safety, you can say Harrison Smith and Elohi Gilman, and you've had some guys go in the NFL. Linebacker, we had Manti, we had Jalen, we had Jeremiah Usukoromoa, D-line. You had five defensive ends from the 2018 roster get, get either get drafted or play in the NFL. Right, four of them got drafted, five played in the NFL with Jameer Jones. And then you had a D tackle from that same team that was a first round pick. So you have things you can point to. Notre Dame hasn't had a cornerback go higher than the four, than the third round since the 90s, I don't think. 
because Kavari Russell went in the third round, and then Julian Love was a fourth round pick. Troy Pride is a fourth round pick. I think you got to go back to the nineties because Shane Walton was not drafted very high. Vontez Duff, I don't even I don't even know if he was drafted. Darren Walls was uh, was he an undrafted free agent or was he round six or seven? He went low. I don't I don't know if he was drafted. I remember Mike Richardson was drafted in the sixth right. round by the Patriots. Robert yeah. Blant yeah. was drafted in the fifth or sixth round. I can't tell you the last time Notre Dame had a top uh, first round pick a corner. I mean, it, it's it's actually matter of fact. I'm going to go look it up right now because there's this cool website that allows me to go see this kind of stuff. And so I'm actually going to go look it up. So, because like I said, we just listed a bunch of guys that, that were in the NFL, but were drafted lower. So I'm going to go look here, try to find some corners. Bennett Jackson was a sixth round pick. I forgot about Bennett Jackson. Yep. Good call. Yep. Harrison's Robert Blant, fifth round pick. He was a corner in height in college. David Blant at safety was in the fourth round. Zibikowski was a third round pick, but he was a safety. Mike Richardson was sixth round. Glenn Earl was fourth round. Vontez Duff went in the sixth round. Shane Walton was a fifth round pick. Jerome Sapp was a sixth round pick. Brock Williams was a third round pick of the Patriots. Uh, let's see here. He was a corner. Alan Rawson, uh, Rawson was a third round pick. And that's all the way back. Sh- Shane Sean Wooden was a sixth round pick. Bobby Taylor, 1995 Ooh. was the last time Notre Dame had a cornerback taken in the first two rounds. He was a great, he was a really good yes. player too. Oh, really yeah. good player, Bobby Taylor. And yeah. the year before that, Tom Carter went in the first round. The year before, you know, two years before that, Todd Light went in the first round. Actually, uh, the year before Bobby Taylor, I'm sorry, Jeff Burris went in the first round. Then Tom Carter, the Carter, the year before that. So there was a a three year stretch where, well, actually, it was a five year stretch where in four of those five years. Notre Dame had a guy taken at corner in the top two rounds. Three of them were first-round picks. And that helped you recruit other players, right? So at some point in time, they need to produce. Some of these kids need to produce, right? And and that's the thing. If if, if they can – that's why Cam Hart this year is so important to Notre Dame's present and future. So, so important. Because if you can have a guy that you can look on film – because. Here's what Mike Mickens can do if they can get Cam Harden to a, be, being a day one or do two pick next year. Mike Mickens can now say, I recruited and got sauce, but I also was able to develop him. So, because right, right now you can say, well, you recruited sauce, but you only coached him for like one year, right? So the other corners coach, but then you can kind of negate that by saying, okay, yeah, I recruited him and coached him as a freshman All-American. I didn't recruit Cam Hart, and I turned him from a receiver into a first or second round pick. Now, all of a sudden, Mike Mickens has some serious sway when he hits the recruiting trail. That because that's all at the end of the day, Ryan is evidence. Kids need evidence that okay, yeah, you can do this. Right now, Notre Dame has none. It's all selling what you think they can do. We've talked about how hard that can be. That's why Cam Hart is so important. They've got to. He needs to maximize his potential for himself. Number one for the team number two, and then finally it would have a huge, huge impact on recruiting if they could finally get him, get a cornerback to be a very high day one or early day two pick. Well, I mean, it happens at every position. I mean, the first thing that you talk about with um, when Peyton Bowen committed was his first thing he said to me was, oh, seeing what Kyle Hamilton did at Notre Dame. And I think that that's going to continue potentially at safety with a guy like a Brandon Joseph, hopefully. And that's going to continue to kind of have the momentum build there. And offensive line wise, you offensive linemen want to be the next Quentin Nelson. You want to be the next, next Ronnie Stanley. You want to be the next Mike McGlinchey and next Zach Martin. Like you want to be that. So anytime that you get a player that is able to be that type of outlier early, that's what kind of builds momentum. So I agree. And especially with Mike Mickens, the fact that not only the fact that you were able to develop a former wide receiver in Cam Hart into a potential top hundred player, t- second round player, whatever he ends up being, maybe first round player, who knows with the jump that he could make. So, I mean, you're absolutely right, Brian. Like it's, it guys are symbols and they are, I mean, Kyle Hamilton right now is a symbol for safety recruiting. It, it, he is no matter what you want to say about it. Peyton Bowen, Wants to be the next Kyle Hamilton, Peyton Wood Woodyard maybe the next next year. Who of course is Kyle's cousin. He wants to do what Kyle did at Notre Dame. Like those players are going to want to be that guy. So if Cam Hart can be that guy, he starts a line. He starts a little bit of a pulse into that position. It's it is so important because guys ultimately 
they're coming to play college football because they want to play in the NFL, right? They want to. Right. So they want to be that next guy. And you're absolutely correct about that. There is something on The Athletic that I would encourage you to go to. I got a heads up on this a few days ago that this was in the works, but it's an NIL, it's an NIL collective that uh, Brady Quinn has started and Tom Mendoza's backing. And I was told by an alum who's a, a really high up person you know, in Notre Dame that this is happening and that Notre Dame is hoping that this can be a game changer and that there's a lot of very, very well-to-do alums that are on board with this. So we're going to see how this goes. But uh, I encourage you to look it up. I'm going to do some research on it, but we'll talk about that later in the week. But Bruce Feldman just tweeted about it. Pete Sampson, I believe, has an article about it. Um, this is something that that I've heard has been in the works for a little bit that I would encourage you to to definitely go take a peek at. So uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how how this whole thing plays out. So uh, definitely take take a peek at that. But yes, so that kind of answers that question a little bit. Florida Irishman, finally a member of the Irish Breakdown message board. Buddy, thank you very, very much for signing up. And if you haven't signed up, boards.irishbreakdown.com. You're missing out if you're not on it. $4.99 a month, $49.99 for a year. And if you sign up by May 1st, we've got something really cool that we're working on right now for the summer that if you sign up by May 1st, even as a monthly member, you'll get this part, this cool thing for free. And obviously if you sign up for an annual membership, you do. Plus you get discounts at the merch store, all that kind of cool stuff. So I got a little distracted during the show, Ryan. I got an email from Printful saying that that you know my shipment has come for my new stuff so i'm very very excited nice donovan amaro will the blue gold game have an impact on recruits and start the ball rolling for notre dame i mean I, we talked about this a little bit i think the impact is already starting without the blue gold game but i think that it is a continuum of momentum and for the players that are uncommitted that will be on campus yes it can have a huge impact donovan there's no doubt about it i mean one there's a layer of Guys want to see the team up close, right? Like they want to see the coaching. They want to see how the team is unfolding, how the team is meshing, all that good stuff, which Monroe Freeling just talked a little bit about in the piece that will be out soon on him. But also you want to be just, you know, getting a guy on campus can completely change the narrative, right? Like I'm excited for guys like Jaden Greathouse and Rodney Gallagher to get on campus here soon because that's when we'll really know how high this interest is in in a place like Notre Dame. Because I mean, it's a national product. They're recruiting nationally. Getting guys from Texas to come to campus is huge. Getting Rigo Flores from California in a couple months to come to campus is huge. Those things are in, like you can't quantify it. And especially the impulse of a blue gold game where you're going to have like, I think it's seven of eight now current commits for Notre Dame on campus, right? Outside of Cooper Flanagan, who is going to take an official in June. And you're going to have an opportunity for the uncommitted players to be around all these committed guys, around alumni, around the players, around the coaches, around the fans. It is huge. So, yes, I think it can definitely continue momentum. I wouldn't say it starts the momentum, but it certainly is a big element into the recruiting process. Absolutely. Go next to Marty McGrail with a super chat. Marty, thank you so much. Who do you believe the next defensive player will be to commit to Notre Dame? I'm going to start off by saying we don't know no. who the next players that will commit to Notre Dame on defense is. But I think that we can guess. So mm-hmm. I want people to understand this is just us answering a question. We are not predicting right. it. If I had to if I had to guess, Ryan, mm-hmm. it would definitely be on one of two defensive linemen, Jason mm-hmm. Moore or Devin Houston. I, if I had to predict, I would say one of those two guys is the next defensive player to commit. Yeah, I was Barring thinking like a – like a surprise, like a kid popping this weekend that we don't expect to to commit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Devin Houston was one that popped in my mind. I think he obviously he likes Notre Dame. They've made a hard push at it. We'll see when that commitment's kind of on the table, if, if the is somewhere in the near future. Um, I think that Notre Dame is very high on him, obviously. Another guy I would throw out is, I, I'm just waiting. When is Samuel and Pemba going to pop, right? Like when is right. that one going to happen? Because I think that he's obviously has been high on Notre Dame. I mean, they would probably be the assumed leader. Obviously, they need to close on that one, but you just aren't 100% sure about what the timeline for Impemba looks like, but he right. could be a guy that... Or yeah, that he, even picks Notre Dame. I mean, we're right, still exactly. some uncertainty about that. But yes, sure. I, I I would say I feel better about the lineman right now over him. But again, I mean, who, who knows where that one is going to be? There, there's no question about it. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Here's an interesting question from M. Kostrub. He says, what, but what happens if a school gets more commits than available scholarships, roster spots? That happens almost every year. Mm-hmm. Like almost every year, Notre Dame signs more kids than they, as we know, they're going to, than they have spots for. But the reality is, is you always anticipate losses. You're always going to have a medical, a transfer, or something happen every every year. Now, you don't sign to where you're like 99 kids, right? Because it's hard to process 14 kids over the course of one offseason, especially since you don't have Dell Alexander to guarantee four or five in one offseason anymore. I'm sorry. That was mean. True, but mean. So, I mean, that's just a normal thing. Uh, you always plan for that. If you if you stop recruiting to the to to getting to eighty five based on your current roster, you will always fall way short of eighty five. And that happened in Notre Dame for a long time. That's why their depth was always such a problem. They would recruit to where they were at eighty five, and then be shocked when they lost five six kids in the off season. I'm like, well, gee, now we're in the seventies. Well, it's because you are don't understand how football works. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, especially now in today's era of one time transfers. And kids, so many kids graduating in three years, you're even seeing more roster turnover for Notre Dame. In even though I still think their roster turnover is less from a transfer standpoint or guys leaving after three years standpoint than others, it's still going to up it enough to where it's going to be impactful. We have a super chat from K Grant. Thank you very, 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 very much for that. Here's one for you, Ryan. Jermaine Hargrave says that Jaden Greathouse reminds him of Michael Crabtree. Yeah, I, I, I highlighted that one. I started that one because I love that comp, man. I really like that a lot, uh, Jermaine. So I wanted to give you a little bit of a shout out here, man. There's, I don't, I didn't honestly didn't have a good comp for Jaden Greathouse. I think a lot, a lot of comparisons with Michael Crabtree. I think they're both big bodied guys. I mean, Crabtree played about six foot two, two hundred fifteen pounds, really crafty route runner, but not like the most. Not the, the most fluid player of all time. He was just really snappy out of breaks. You understand how to attack leverage, big body, physical hands. Not a great athlete in terms of like long speed, but I think that's a really good comp, Brian. That's kind of one of the highlighted. I think that makes a lot of sense from a stylistic approach. If he's anything like Michael Crabtree as a player, sign me up. Not, and I'm, not, I'm not talking stylistic anymore. I'm talking about player because Michael <laughs> Crabtree was really, really good. Aller, man. Yeah, he was really good. Really, really good. Zach Martin has a question. Ryan, are I know the answer to this. Ryan, are you 100% a Philly sports guy? Almost, not fully. I mean, I'm a so I'm a Sixers fan for basketball. I am a Flyers fan for hockey and I'm a Phillies fan for baseball. I am not an Eagles fan. I'm not. I I've told this before on the podcast, but my mom was a then St. Louis Rams fan, now LA Rams fan. My dad was a Miami Dolphins fan, so I had to pick between the two growing up. So I picked the now L.A. Rams, St. Louis Rams fan at the time because when I my, one of my first memories was the Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, greatest show on turf team. So I am almost a Philly guy all the way through, but um, football is the exception there. Rob Thidoff says, Brian and Ryan, what are you most confident and what are you most concerned about with the 2022 Notre Dame football team. You want to take a first crack at that, Ryan? Yeah, why not? Uh, what are you most confident in? I think that the defense is going to fly around. I think that there is going to be an influx of more play speed and length on this team. So I think it's going to be a fast, aggressive unit. I'm pretty confident in that part. What am I concerned about? I mean, it's just you're depending on a lot of sophomores, right? And sometimes guys make their big jump. Sometimes guys take a little bit longer. Like we've seen flashes 
of last year's freshman class, that Tyler Buckner, Logan Diggs class of what they could potentially be. And now we're very excited about guys like Ryan Barnes and Lorenzo Styles Jr. taking that next step, which I think he will. But ultimately, you're still depending on a lot of younger players. And the two tackles I didn't even mention are both sophomores. So there's a lot of youth in this class that has played, but you're expecting the sophomore class to be really vital to success. So I would just say that it's concerning when you're just depending so much on a younger group sometimes. But ultimately, I, I think that I'm most confident of the fact that I think that Al Golden's defense and Marcus Freeman's in injection into that defense, I think it's going to be very fast, and I think it's going to be a lot lengthier than we usually typically see at Notre Dame. Most concerned about, I would probably say, just the the lack of depth at on the skill, the skill positions, uh, tight end and receiver at the current moment. I just that that's my biggest concern. And you have some guys that if they don't pan out, you're you're in trouble. And that's that's a concern. If if Tobias Merriweather and Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles don't make jumps, at least two of them, you're 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 gonna be in trouble. And in regards to having like, when we say trouble, like to we're talking about competing for a championship, right? Like they're gonna be still be good enough to beat nine of the ten teams on the schedule. But can you be a playoff team without that? That's still my biggest concern. I just there's just a lot of show me at that position that I need to see. When the thing I'm most confident in, line play, and I use that broadly. I'm confident Notre Dame's going to have very good line play this year on both sides of the ball. Um, I, you know, it's trying to pick one thing, so I tried to make it as broad as possible because I was torn between O-line and D-line. I think I think the O-line actually has more God-given talent top to bottom than the D-line. The D-line's more proven, obviously, with a lot of guys coming back. So I, I'm fully confident that Notre Dame's line play is going to be very good next year. And, and you know, I, 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 it's going to be really good. Camden Hirschberger asks, Pendleton, Jagusa, Freeling, Saraveld, and Absher, how many and who of these guys do you see ending up in the class? I would well, say minimum three. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Possibly yeah. four. I don't see Absher being in the class at, at the current moment. I don't either. I mean, I, I guess if we're doing a quick like heat check on the class, I would say the guys I feel best about are I think Charles Jaguso would still be number one. I feel I still feel good about where Notre Dame is, even though it looks like his timeline has gotten a little extended. I feel good about where they are with Pendleton. I really do. I think that they're in a good spot with Pendleton out of North Carolina. I think that they are in a good spot with Austin Saraveld and with Monroe Freeling. They're kind of both in like the same ballpark, in my opinion. And then I'm not, I have not continued, I've continued not to feel great about where they are with Sullivan Absher. So I think three is a safe number, potentially four of those guys that I talked about. And I, I think that, I mean, all of those guys are takes in this class, regardless. So, but I think that they are in good spot with four out of five. And I think that three is probably a good number to rest on. Corey D with a super chat. Thank you, Corey, very, very much. Could this team, the 2022 team, be the most talented Notre Dame team in the last 10, 15 years? I, I, I think this could be Notre Dame's best team, potentially. Again, super early, right? So, like, we're understand there's a lot that has to happen for this to occur. But if certain things go right, I could see this being their best team in 15 years. But this team is not a more talented team than the 2015 team. I mean, I'm, I'm, the, the, there's. There'd have to be about seven or eight guys to play way beyond I think they're capable of for me to. I mean, let, let's let's think about this. The 2015 team had three first round draft picks on the offensive line, a second round draft pick on the offensive line, and their right guard Steve Elmer was a three year starter who quit after his junior year, who would have been drafted if he would have come back. Because people forget Steve Elmer had a whole another year of football of eligibility left when he quit football. He would have got drafted. You had a second-round pick at quarterback, a third-round pick at running back. Your freshman running back set your freshman record and ended averaged over seven yards a carry. You had a first-round draft pick at wide receiver. You had a kid that was drafted in the seventh round of tight end who would have been drafted higher if he wasn't a, had issues with discipline. I think I ended up counting like 12 players on defense from that team spent time in the NFL. Their entire defensive line has started games in the National Football League from that team. And that doesn't include Max Redfield, who would have played in the NFL if he didn't get in trouble, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So you that team was absolutely loaded. It just wasn't as loaded in the, on the coaching staff. That's just as simple as that. 
if you'd have had if you'd have had Matt Bayless, and then what pick pick a defensive staff from seventeen to now, and put them on that team, even with the offensive staff what it was. Give me Matt Bayless and any of the defensive staffs from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty two, and that football team wins a championship. And I'll always say that at the very least they play for it. So that's my. I mean, they almost went on the road, beat Clemson, and turned. I mean, they had a shank punt in the first quarter that gave Clemson a 25-yard field. They fumbled a freaking kick return to give Clemson another score and still almost had a chance with a two-point conversion at the end of the, to win a game, right? And Clemson went and took Bama, you know, played Bama down to the wire in the title game. So that that was the, mo- the biggest wasted opportunity, in my opinion, of my lifetime, of a Notre Dame team that flat out had the talent. This team, Ryan, in my opinion, does not have that talent right now. It just, it's close. But it's not there yet. I mean, because the difference, Ryan, for me, mm-hmm. is the elite level talent. The depth of elite level talent on that football team is is better than this one was. Again, it's not significant, but it's it's for me definitive in my right. opinion. Well, I mean, the twenty twenty two version is a team that we're, we're still we still don't know enough about, right? Like, I mean, like Fisher maybe could be that guy. Right, like Joe Walt, maybe could be that guy. Cam Hart might be be that guy. Isaiah Foskey certainly could be that guy. Like, there's a lot of guys that could be those dudes, but we just haven't seen it yet. Right, like it's still not tangible yet. And I think that 2015 group that you're talking about, of course, Brian. Like, I mean, especially offensive line wise, <laughs> like that collection of talent was just silly. It, it, like, it, yeah. it was insane. I mean, yeah. you're talking about one of the best linemen to ever lace it up for Notre Dame. I mean, that team was so loaded. Mike McGlinchey was their third best offensive lineman. Right. The number nine overall draft pick two years later, you know, a couple years later. I mean, that that line at, at, at with, what what it currently looks like now of these players in the NFL that that's a that's almost an all star team. Like yes. that, that 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 would be the yes. best line in the NFL if all those guys were together. It just would have a chance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, there's no, and it's okay. So Steve Elmer quit football. Okay, replace him with Alex Bars, who started two games that year when Quentin Nelson got hurt. Right. Fine. Right. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> who would who would Alex Bars who would have played in the NFL a lot longer if he didn't get injured? Like, Absolutely, good, good player. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Sam Musfer was on that team as a who, backup. Who starts in the NFL starts now? The <laughs> right, right. right. I mean, <laughs> you had guys that have started games in the NFL backing up players on that football team. Crazy. I mean, it was it was so loaded. And your slowest guy at receiver was Amir Carlisle. Who's like a four or five something kid, right? He was a four, four. Like he ran like a four, four, five, I think is what he, because Chris Brown ran like a four, four, three, four, four, two at the pro day. And, uh, and Will Fuller obviously was, um, four, three, one or four, three, four, three, two. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to see if I can find Amir Carlisle's pro day numbers. Cause I actually want to, want to see if I can give it more accurate. But if I remember correctly, Amir, Amir ran, um, in the four fours at his, at the Notre Dame pro day, but I'm going to try to, I'm gonna try to find that, so we'll we'll, we'll see. But uh, yes, four four five, nice. Yeah, Amir Amir at the Notre Dame Pro Day ran a. Yeah, so Chris Brown at the Pro Day ran a four four four. Had a ten ten broad jump. Uh, Amir <laughs> Carlisle ran a four four five with a thirty five inch uh, vertical jump. Yeah, so uh, Matthias Farley ran a four four five at the Pro Day. Will Fuller obviously that year ran a four four two, so yeah that team uh, that team had some dudes. You had Romeo Aquar on that team. You had CJ Procise at the pro- didn't he run a four four eight? Yeah, yeah, it was like four four seven, four four eight, yeah. somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, Javari yeah. uh-huh. Russell ran a four four three on that team. You had Jalen Smith, who prior to the injury was the most explosive linebacker I've ever seen. Yeah, so yeah, that team had some flat out speed. Yeah, Jalen Smith was probably like a four four high guy too. If yes. he ran, like he was very Pre, fast. Pre injury, exactly. I mean, he had the most devastating knee injury I've ever seen a guy come back from, and 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 made Pro Bowls. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have full feeling in his leg for a couple years. That's crazy. And he, I mean, that's how freaky athletic he was. And it's it's really it's sad to to see what you know what could have happened there. But yeah, we'll see. We shall see. All right, let's get to the last few questions before we get out of here. Uh, ben Jammin, an uh, Ohio State fan. Uh, <laughs> Ryan starred this one, everybody. So just so you know, I didn't star this one. It says, hi, Brian. The guy I work with is a huge Notre Dame fan and watched your show every day. Watched my show every day. So did he stop watching for some reason? Or is that not <laughs> proper uh, tense? 
I myself am a huge fan of the Ohio State University because the is two E's, the <laughs> Ohio State University. Do you think my prediction of 38 to 10 is outrageous for game one? Simply put, yes, it's stupid. So <laughs> if Ohio State wins by 28, that may happen. They're not holding their aim to 10 points. I don't know if you watch this yet, but your defense has been a freaking hot mess of garbage the last two years. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I think that's an outrageous prediction. Ryan, do you want to take a crack at that one? Yeah, no, nah, 38 to 10 is a little disrespectful. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a little disrespectful. Silly. That's all. Silly. That's all. I you need gave up 45 it. points to Utah. I'm just saying, bro. Well, that's future That's future first-round pick Cameron Rising. I don't know what you're talking about there. <laughs> Mason Sidwell with a super chat. Thank you, Mason. Ryan, I can't believe you started that one. Mason Sidwell said, uh, just, I'm just messing with you. It's going to be great weather this Saturday. Can't wait to get out to the game. What all recruits will be there? Mason, we that's a long list. I would encourage you to check out the message board. It's a very long list. Every I'll say this, every commit except for Cooper Flanagan, we expect mm-hmm. to be there. Cooper was here last week, so he's been on campus in April. He just couldn't make it back for the spring game, so that's why he had to yeah. come, come early. And in his defense – I kind of like why he did it. I actually think it was better for him and being solid in his commitment because he wanted to see because he he committed to a different coach. Yep. He wanted to see, you know, you know, obviously Jared Parker and that staff and at work, and he did. And I think Ryan, as you wrote when you cut when you reported on it after the fact, his commitment was pretty firm coming in. It's much stronger now coming out of it because he was able to have that face to face time, which you can't get in a blue gold game. You can't watch him coach. You can't you know, sit in the meeting with them and all that. I think, I think Cooper really needed that. So I think for him, I un- completely understand him wanting to come back uh, before, because he does live so far away. It's just a little harder for him to make multiple trips out here in a short yeah. period of time. And and despite that, he's, he's scheduled already another visit, obviously for that June 10th weekend. Right. So yeah, he's a really thoughtful kid. He's a very thoughtful kid. He wanted to see coach Parker. Like that's literally why he wanted to come and get, and take in practice and just see his style. Because like you said, he had committed to coach McNulty. He's on board with Coach Parker. He had a lot of things to say. He loved the fact that Coach Parker was also a former offensive coordinator. He thinks that's a huge thing for him, a huge selling point as well. And, yes, Mason, great weather this weekend. My wife my wife has an IB hoodie, Brian. I don't know if I told you this. And she's like, eh, it's going to be a little hot for a hoodie this weekend, isn't mm-hmm. it? And I'm like, yeah, I guess we'll Bring it anyway just in case. Something out. Yeah, because yeah. in Indiana, you never know. True. I woke up in such a cranky mood this morning because when I got out of bed, I looked outside, did a little stretch. I'm like, is it freaking snowing? The ground was covered in snow. I was. I know. Crazy. I saw I saw someone, someone posted a picture that I was following that uh, is from Chicago, and he posted the yeah. same. I was like, oh, man. I was I was a little – little woke up in a little bitter mood this morning. I'm not going to lie to you. Little, little livid, huh? Little, little yep. Bit. I love this. My man, John Garcia, in the chat, listening to the GOAT while writing an essay article. Hell of a Monday. Ryan, look at those kind words he's throwing your way. So, I was talking uh, to me. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's who he's John, to. my dude, appreciate you being being part of what we're doing, my buddy. Uh, Presley Laypath with a super chat. Appreciate that, Presley, very, very much. We had another, we've had a couple people ask about this. Sorry if this was covered. Where did things stand with Malik Muhammad? Obviously, that's the very, very talented cornerback corner out of Texas that you and I both love. But, yeah. Ryan, break it down. Yeah, I, I mean, basically, it, the staff just is higher on other guys than comparative to Malik Muhammad. So, it's just not – they're not pushing for him right now. I We have been very vocal that we don't necessarily agree with that. We really right. both really like Malik Muhammad. Right. But the, the fact of the matter is – and it's it wasn't about his cards. talent. It was they just the I think the, there was some concern about the fit. Would they be able to at the end of the day get him? Apparently, I didn't leave my top door uh, shut or my wife opened it because Rita just came down to hang out. Nice. Uh, this is this is Rita. Usually Sadie's the one down here. Um, so apparently somebody's hungry. She's down there <laughs> sniffing around like I got my food down here. Uh, Bobby Halfacre, I'm worried that we have the talent to compete with the big dogs, but not having the depth to stay with them at the later parts of the game when it matters most opinion. Ryan, I think this was an this was an issue several years ago. I don't think depth is an issue for Notre Dame at most positions now. I think the only one that I'm concerned about at the current moment would be would be receiver. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess it's I don't want to say it's unsettling, but you know, the fact that the one concern that you've had from Notre Dame comparative to some of the the you know, elite programs, college football is the difference between talent level at maybe corner and wide receiver in years past. So like that does kind of give you a pause for a second, but I, I agree. I don't, I don't think that the depth across the board is an issue. I really don't. I think that, I mean, 
you're starting to get to the point where like you have backups that are four-star recruits, <laughs> like high-level dudes. So I agree. I don't, I don't think across the board it's it's bad, Bobby, I, but I do think agree with Brian. In a couple positions, there might be not the depth that you would sure. want, which gives you pause, sure. of course, always. They're, they're not the positions, however, that I think depth hurts you in the fourth quarter. I think they're positions that maybe if you're not able to fix it could hurt you in November as just overall your team is worn down, but like it's, it's not fourth quarter issues. Like receivers and corners aren't positions that I get super, super worried about guys wearing down in the fourth quarter in the first two months of the season. I get more concerned that maybe a guy could wear down in November, but not, not early in the season. So it's, it for me, it's not, it's not as, as big of an issue in my opinion is if the depth was an issue in the defensive line at linebacker, offensive line, tight end running back. I think those are pro- safety, but depth at safety is not a problem. Do they have enough playmakers there? That's a, that's a, that's a legitimate question concern, right? Uh, depth at corner is not a problem. I think the depth at corner is a problem is the talent in that depth. Good enough. That's a different conversation, but Notre Dame's got a mess of corners. I mean, they're going to have what, at least seven corners on the roster this year, right? You've got the two freshmen. You have uh, three kids from last year. Plus, you've got Clarence Lewis. Plus, you have Cam Hart. Plus, you have guys that you, Ramon Henderson that have moved away from corner that you can always bring back. So, uh, certainly have uh, have have any some questions there. So, anyway, that is going to be it for today's show, Ryan. So we are we are wrapped up here, and. Fun show. We're going to have two shows for y'all tomorrow, though, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to have a, our normal 1230 show. Vince and I are going to be here talking Notre Dame football. We'll kind of start talk, talking about the spring. We have some really interesting conversations coming up here over the next few weeks, but we'll kind of stick to sort of looking at the blue gold game, getting ready for the blue gold game. And then tomorrow night around 7, 730, Ryan, we will then sit down and have our our uh, podcast. Did you just try to pull something up? Did I accidentally do that? Okay, I didn't was, touch anything. That, that, that was me. Uh, it, it, we will have our, our podcast kind of covering the, the the announcement from Braylon James. He's going to decide between Notre Dame and Texas and Stanford and a few other LSU and a few other schools that are, are all over him. So we'll cover that. We'll probably start around seven o'clock our time. And then uh, once he starts with his commitment ceremony, we will discuss that and we'll carry that. And then we will we will talk about what his decision means for Notre Dame uh, following that. And then back on Wednesday, we're back to our normal schedule. So for Brian, that's Ryan. You all have an awesome rest of your day. Make sure you hit the like button. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you hit the notification bell so you know when we're going live. And, of course, as always, sign up for the message board. Like our content. Give us a five-star review on the podcast. All that good stuff. But most importantly, come back for our next show because we're going to have a lot of a lot of fun stuff for you this week so have a great day thank you all so much for joining the irish breakdown podcast